You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. My tinfoil hat tells me Kyrie Irving is loathed by globalists and their corporate media puppets because the system is doing everything in its power to prevent Irving from inspiring other athletes to think for themselves. The system prefers LeBron James and Colin Kaepernick, athletes who do exactly what their handlers tell them to do. Kyrie refused to take the jab. That's his real offense. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell bullied basketball and football players into taking the experimental medical trials that were advertised as vaccines. Pro athletes have every right to be outraged. The experimental medical trials were at best useless and at worst harmful. Irving refused to be bullied. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host, your happy host. It's Wednesday, it's hump day. We're halfway through the week. The weekend, you can smell it just around the corner. Last night, my Ball State Cardinals, 27 to 20 victors over Kent State in a tough road Mac action game. Midweek Maction is back, and my Ball State Cardinals crushed it last night. 27 to 20 victors over Kent State. I mean, anytime you can go up there uh, to Kent State and get a victory on the road, <laughs> it's, it's a great night. It's a great accomplishment. Uh, I'm on cloud nine. My Ball State Cardinals now have a winning record. Uh, we look like we're going to be bowl eligible and bowl bound. Can you say that about your team? <laughs> All right, I have a fantastic show planned for you today. Pastor Anthony Walker is going to be in studio with me. Uh, throughout a big section of the show, not just for Tennessee Harmony. We're gonna do a movie review, Fearless at the Movies. You guys know I like going to movies and like reviewing movies, so perhaps I can save you money and you don't have to go see a movie, or maybe I can inspire you to go see a movie. Well, we all went, Anthony, Delano, Shamika, and myself, we all went to go see the Emmett Till movie. Uh, so those guys will be on the show to talk about it. Steve Kim's gonna be on the show uh, to talk a little Kyrie Irving and a little sports. The Brooklyn Nets fired Steve Nash. Uh, Michigan State football is in a lot of trouble about their post-game brawl with Michigan. We'll get Steve Kim's take on that. And then we'll end the show with some Tennessee harmony and a discussion that will try to pull together all of this controversy and conversation we've been having around Kyrie Irving, Kanye West, uh, Jewish people, Israel. I, I want, we're going to end the show in Tennessee Harmony with uh, Virgil Walker and Anthony talking about what the Bible has to say about how Christians should feel about Israel and how we should, how we should or shouldn't support the state of Israel, the country of Israel, how, how we should feel about that. I'm this Kyrie conversation and uh, the Kanye conversation 
has made me think a lot more about America's relationship with Israel and what our point of view should be as believers. And so Anthony and Virgil are gonna help me uh, address that and get to the bottom of that. So we all are on the same page and know exactly what the Bible says about that issue. We'll talk about the Mosaic Covenant and the Abrahamic uh, Covenant. I need them explained to me the difference. So stay tuned for all of that. Uh, before I get to Steve Kim, <clears throat> I want to tell you about my good friends at Good Ranches. As the holidays approach, uh, it's when our waists get bigger and our wallets get smaller. It's the season when most companies want you to spend all of your money, <laughs> but not Good Ranchers. They want to help you save money at the holiday time. So you can buy all those Christmas gifts you want for your favorite people. Beef prices are estimated to increase another 20% in early 2023 continuing the largest price spike in meat in recent U.S. history. Good Ranchers is letting you lock in your price on all meat that you buy this November when you subscribe during their Black Friday savings. With my promotion code, FEARLESS, you can get their exclusive Black Friday offer of two free Black Angus New York Strip steaks. These are two 12-ounce steakhouse quality cuts that will absolutely blow you away in flavor and you can get them for free at goodranchers.com fearless. You'll inflation-proof your meat budget, get $70 of free USDA choice steaks, and save an additional 25 on every box when you subscribe. Thousands of five-star uh, five reviews show why so many people are ditching the high prices and low quality of their grocery store for Good Ranchers instead. Treat yourself or someone you love to Good Ranchers award-winning service and quality this holiday season, remember to visit goodranchers.com fearless or use my promo code fearless at checkout to grab their best offer of the year. Black Angus is one of the premier breeds of cattle for high quality beef, so don't have a normal Black Friday this year. Have yourself a Black Angus Friday with two free steaks from Good Ranchers, American meat delivered, Guys, keep sending me those emails telling me about your support of Good Ranchers. I love it when you tell me about supporting our sponsors because they support me and you and our point of view. Support Good Ranchers. Be a good fearless soldier. All right, <clears throat> let me uh, start this fire and then bring in the Korean co-sell, Steve Kim, to fan the flames. Uh, let's get it rolling. Bill Maher, the agnostic comedian, wrote and starred in a documentary that painted Christianity and other forms of faith as a mashup of the words religion and ridiculous. Released in 2008, Religious spawned a tiny protest at a Canadian university and muted grumbling in the United States. Back then, in the infancy of social media, before Twitter turned performative outrage into the preferred method of seizing power, no one called for HBO or corporations to discipline Marr. 14 years ago, you could write and star in a documentary with the expressed intention to offend, mock, and challenge conventional wisdom without people demanding you lose your job. I'm a Christian. I watched Religious years ago because I've been a fan of the Jewish comedian for two decades. I find him funny, smart, sincere, and relatively honest. In 2010, after Marr argued that religions, religious people were deluded, I wrote a column for the Kansas City Star that chastised him for, among other things, belittling the faith that inspired my mother, 
my grandmother, Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela, and the men who sacrificed their lives in the Civil War. Let's compare the way I responded to Mar to what's happening to Kyrie Irving, the NBA star, in the aftermath of a sentence-less sentence tweet that listed a religious documentary, Hebrews to Negroes, that many Jews say is offensive. A handful of net season ticket holders sat courtside at Brooklyn's last home game wearing t-shirts that stated, fight anti-Semitism. The fans told an ESPN reporter the Nets should suspend Irving. Many pundits in corporate media have vilified and demonized Irving. Last night on TNT's NBA broadcast, Shaquille O'Neal called Irving an idiot. Charles Barkley said the NBA should suspend Irving for the tweet. Barkley insinuated the league should discipline Irving for tweeting out something about Alex Jones Here's the full exchange. It's almost four minutes. Stick with me. Here's NBA TV last night. If, if on your social media, you say, boom, here's a link to this. That, that tells me, hey, <clears throat> you should watch this. If you Correct? You're, I mean, he's got 17 million Instagram followers, another 5 million or so on Twitter. You're all over social media. Do you ever put something out there, Shaq, that's, that does not was, represent something that you feel? I was probably one of the first guys on Twitter. And when I realized the power it had, I knew I had to be very responsible. Followers, platform, whatever you call it, I knew I had to be responsible. I, I try to make people happy. I try to make people smile. My, my formula has always been the same. 60% to make you laugh, 30% to inspire you, and 10% whatever I'm selling, I'm selling. You have to be, have to be aware of what you're doing. And you have to be aware that sometimes when you put stuff out, not everybody's gonna like it. Some, some people are conscious, some people are not. I can tell he's not conscious. He doesn't really care what, what's going on. But us, I know that, that you know, the game that we used to love and we promote, it brings people together. And it hurts me sometimes when we have to sit up here to talk about stuff that divides the game. Now, now we got to answer for what this idiot has done. Uh, you know, I'm, I stand for equality of all people. I've always been like that. Don't matter what religion, no matter where you're from. I could say shalom, salam alaikum, ni hao, say bon, because that's how I was raised. So I don't, I don't really want to sit up here and answer questions for what he's done. You know, if you're looking at me, it's my job to make people happy. I, I, I can't speak for him and, you know, answer for, for you know, what he's doing. It's, it's obviously by his answers and the way he answers, he doesn't really care. Chuck? I think the NBA dropped the ball. In what way? Uh, I think he should have been suspended. Uh, I think Adam should have suspended him. First of all, Adam's Jewish. You can't take my $40 million and insult my religion. You're going to insult me. You have the right, but I have the right to say, no, you're not going to take my $40 million and insult my religion. I think the NBA, they made a mistake. We have suspended people and fined people who have made homophobic slurs. Uh, and that, that was the right thing to do. I think if you insult the, uh, the black community, you should be suspended or fined heavily, depending. I saw they did the same thing to the kid in Minnesota this year when he made the gay slur. I think you should get suspended or fined. I think him acknowledging the Alex Jones things should have, something should have happened with that too, because that dude's crazy. 
And I, I can't believe that we ain't talking about that. We're talking about this idiot. And when you say, when, when you, if I say, hey, I'm agreeing with this movie, this book or whatever, I'm agreeing with it. I, I'm not gonna put, I, first of all, you know I don't do any social media, but when you're somebody as great as basketball like him, people gonna listen to you what you say. It's, and then you, and there's some fringe people out there, but like I say, I, I blame the NBA. He should have been suspended. And their conversations are continuing with the Brooklyn Nets, it's too with late the NBA, now. but they're also looking yep. at, look, they're looking no. at how do we move forward at this so we it's don't too go late through now. this again. No, it's not too late it, to Ernie, say, how do we prevent Ernie, this? It's not too late to do that. But I see, no, look, I see what you're saying. I want to say the reason it's too late, the NBA is giving in to peer pressure. When, if somebody, if one of our players do something, they have the right, the team, or the, the, or the league has to do something immediately. Help me understand this. He retweeted something. There's no sentence. He didn't make any statement. He retweeted something. It, this has sparked this much outrage. Why? I, I tried to watch the documentary. It's a bad documentary. It's boring. It's impossible to follow. It's three hours and 30 minutes. I made it through the first 75 minutes only because I'm a glutton for punishment. The documentarian, Ronald Dalton, is a black Hebrew Israelite, a group of mostly black men who believe they are the true Jewish people. I don't buy their argument. I've had it explained to me two or three times over the past 10 years. I don't get it. Mostly I don't care. It's America. People are free to believe whatever they want. Bill Maher thinks I'm delusional because of my Christian faith. So what? I still like him. I'll still pray that he be saved and come into enlightenment. There's a long, never-ending history of Christians being persecuted across the globe. Bill Maher's documentary doesn't make me feel vulnerable. It makes me want to explain and testify. That's what I did in 2010 in my Kansas City Star column. The only thing interesting about Ronald Dalton's documentary is the insane overreaction to it. The overreaction makes me want to rewatch it and try to discern why a Kyrie tweet has this kind of importance. We want to suspend Kyrie over a tweet that doesn't contain one word he wrote? Really? This makes no sense. It cannot be the documentary. The doc is way too easy to ignore for this kind of outrage. My tinfoil hat tells me Kyrie is loathed by the globalists and their corporate media puppets because the system is doing everything in its power to prevent Irving from inspiring other athletes to think for themselves. The system prefers LeBron James and Colin Kaepernick, athletes who do exactly what their handlers tell them to do. Kyrie refused to take the jab. That's his real offense. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell bullied basketball and football players into taking the experimental medical trials that were advertised as vaccines. 
Pro athletes have every right to be outraged. The experimental medical trials were at best useless and at worst harmful. Irving refused to be bullied. Judging by his retweet of Alex Jones, Irving likely heeded Jones's warnings about the so-called vaccines. Alex Jones is a threat to the globalist propaganda machine. Kyrie is seeking information from outside the approved sources. He's being punished for that. I like Charles Barkley. I respect Charles. I consider him a friend and a well-intentioned American. However, I'm highly suspicious of any broadcaster on any television network who earns more than three or four million a year whose first name isn't Tucker. Anyone making more than 10 million a year, not named Tucker, has been led into the cult. Everybody else in corporate media is basically on the waiting list to join the cult. They all took the jab and it's their job to punish any high profile person who didn't take the jab. If Kyrie goes unpunished, the narrative gatekeepers worry that Kevin Durant or Patrick Mahomes or some other black athlete might start questioning the wisdom of his handlers. I've yet to see one gatekeeper argue that Amazon should be held responsible for selling Hebrews to Negroes. Amazon, not Kyrie, owns the platform profiting from the documentary. That's my fire. I don't get it, but I do get it. I think it's about the jab. Call me a conspiracy theorist. Say I got my tinfoil hat on. They, these guys are paid millions of dollars. All these influencers, all these NBA players, all these professional athletes, they're paid millions of dollars to be narrative gatekeepers. Kyrie has gone off track. Kanye West went off track. Dave Chappelle went off track, and they're all being punished. Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell, is a Charles Barkley groupie. M uh, the NBA on TNT is his favorite television show. Uh, and so I want Steve to come on and defend Charles Barkley for calling for, Ky uh, for Kyrie to be suspended over a tweet, a tweet with no words. Uh, Steve? Uh, what did you think of your boys from NBA TV last night? Um, from well, NBA on okay. TNT last night. This, this is slander what you're saying. No, first of all, NBA on TNT is the only thing I'll watch on a regular basis related to that league. And yes, I am a Charles Barkley fan. However, that does not mean across the board in uniformity do I agree with everything he says. Okay, let me put it to you this way. I love Jimmy Johnson. I think he's the greatest coach we ever had at the University of Miami. But I still hold the 87 Fiesta Bowl against him. You should have ran that ball to Alonzo Highsmith, and they would have beat Penn State. <laughs> Last night was Charles Barkley's Vinny Testaverde game. I'm sorry, and I get it. There's one thing I never say because it's so pretentious. Well, I don't agree with everything such and such says. Well, yeah, you're not supposed to. I mean, that, that's the height of arrogance to think that anyone – is supposed to be in lockstep with your thoughts and comments. Now, with that said, Charles Barkley and the rest of that crew, they can't say anything else. Under their position with corporate legacy media and the salaries they make, the safest position you can take 
in NBA journalism and media is to just go against Kyrie Irving in anything. If Kyrie Irving said the earth was flat, oh, by the way, he did that already. All right, that bad example. If he said the sky was purple, disagree with him and you're on the right side. If he said that cows could fly, you know what? Disagree with them. Okay, and he could say anything, but as long as you're on the opposite side of whatever he says, that's the approved messaging. And, and that's very unfortunate that even a guy like Charles Barkley, who has FU money and FU status, has to capitulate. What do you think of my assertion that this is really about the jab and not about the tweet? There's a lot of truth to it. I think it goes back to it. If we go back a year or so, the fact that he took such a hard stance and had enough guts to tell the media, uh, my body, my choice, it, I think it goes back to that, that he started to wear, I guess, his version of the scarlet letter, that, yes, he became a marked man and someone that would be described as a heretic. Okay, and that, that simply is not acceptable. But I have a question for all these people badgering Kyrie Irving now. In essence, aren't you telling him, ironically, to just shut up and dribble? I mean, isn't he allowed to have his own opinion whether you agree with it or not? It, it, the, what, I, what I have a problem with is whether you agree or disagree with Kyrie, the questioning from certain members of the media, it, it's more like an, an inquisition than just stating, like, I want to know what your opinion is and what your reasoning is. I'm not trying to investigate you and try to turn state's evidence or try to change your opinion. I see way too much of this as it relates to the questioning of that particular individual. Okay? I'm, like, when I interview somebody, Jason, I don't know about you, I actually want to get your thoughts. I'm not trying to change your opinion. I actually just want to see what do you think about certain things. Like I interviewed Buddy McGirt yesterday, world famous trainer, Hall of Fame boxer, one of my favorite people. And we had what I thought was a very entertaining, productive conversation. But first and foremost, I knew this. I want to get his thoughts. I'm not trying to get my thoughts to usurp his opinions. And the other thing that's really interesting is with Kyrie Irving having his own thoughts and viewpoints, whether you agree or disagree, what happened to more than an athlete? Does, does that not apply anymore? I mean, Kyrie Irving on certain issues, oh, oh he, he's more than an athlete. He should speak out and use his voice. Okay, but what about in this situation? Does that not apply? I mean, these individuals, these, this whole institution, they move goalposts more than Tennessee volunteer fans. It's ridiculous. I, 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 there are people that are like, Hey, I, I thought you wanted Colin Kaepernick to shut up. Uh, so why aren't you telling Kyrie to shut up? And, and I'm like, well, one, Kyrie tweeted something. He didn't go to an NBA arena, take a knee, and then say, I'm taking a knee because you won't watch this documentary. He tweeted something on his social media account. It had nothing to do with the NBA. It wasn't on NBA time. The NBA, again, I just want people to think this through. If your job can police your thoughts away from the job, he didn't, this isn't a Burger King employee showing up 
I'm going to put my Black Lives Matter shirt on and bringing his politics to Burger King. This is a man sitting at home tweeting out without any words a, a graphic of a documentary that he may want people to watch and talk with him about. He may have put it out there like I would have put it out there like, hey, man, I watched this. I want to know your thoughts. I want to talk to you about they've been trying to explain this thing to me forever. I don't get it. Watch this three and a half hour doc and then come explain it to me. Who, this is how people there's so many stupid things I used to think there, there, if, if I if I were a kid in this era, if I was 20 year old Jason Whitlock in this era, who Jason Whitlock, who used to get Louis Farrakhan Nation of Islam tapes shipped to Ball State's campus, and that's what I would listen to in my car and in my apartment or whatever, in my dorm room, whatever. There's no telling what I would have tweeted out as a kid. And, and, and I would have that right on my time. This is, I, I just can't understand how these guys can't think this through and how people that, you can have any problem you want with Kyrie, but we have to protect free speech, particularly away from your workplace. We can't be calling for this guy to be suspended because he has a different take on religion than Adam Silver or me. Again, I heard I had people try to explain this black Hebrew Israelite stuff to me. I don't get it. I don't agree with it. I move on. They can think whatever they want, just like I can think whatever I want. It, that's America. And for Charles Barkley and these guys to be calling for suspense, what country are we living in where every thought has to be approved away from well, your job? This makes no sense. Again, Jason, do you really mean, and I don't mean you, but do you really mean he's more than an athlete or not? Is it only when it's convenient and aligns with your viewpoint? And going back to Kaepernick, let me make this clear. I actually did not have an issue with any of his protesting, um, but I think I had the right to say, yeah, a lot of what you're saying I disagree with. Uh, I think you're doing the lamest form of activism. You have basically enriched your own coffers while not moving the discourse, and now you have disappeared. See, I think all the athletes have a right to actually protest and do whatever they want, even on company time, as long as they play the game. But in situations like that a couple years ago, these very same people condemning Kyrie, they were saying, well, no, 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 they're creating conversation. They're creating discourse so we can all discuss it and solve the problem. Right, but so that doesn't apply to Kyrie Irving? See, that's where I think the, the hypocrisy is really maddening, is that you only stand up for people and the right for free speech and to uphold the First Amendment if you agree completely with uh, that particular individual. Again, the athletes themselves, I did not have an issue. If I was a 49er fan, and I'm going to probably upset people, I was more upset with Colin Kaepernick's declining play than any statement he made during the national anthem. That's just the way I am. I'm about the game. Uh, Colin Kaepernick has had a chance in five years to make some real change, and he has, to his bank account. The games have moved on. The National Football League is still the highest-rated programming in all of television. Nobody has boycotted it. All these people, the, the, the people that said, I'm going to boycott the NFL because, A, 
they disrespected the flag, or B, because of Kaepernick, they're both full of crap. They are the sports fans' version of, I'm moving to Canada if Donald Trump got elected. You know, I look at our census numbers, it didn't happen. I had a problem, and still have a problem, with Kaepernick protesting on the job. I don't think that's the place for protest. I think that if you want to protest the police, go to City Hall, go to your city council, go there, go, go, go to the police station, go there. A football field that's, hey, look at me, that's involving a bunch of other people in your protest who didn't sign up for that. Now, all your 52 other teammates are now involved in your yeah. protest and Jason, have to deal with I, the fallout of that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And what I found really offensive is then that the media industry forced the whole populace of America, America to agree with every single thing the athletes stated. My view is no, 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 no. You can make any statement. You can hashtag whatever you want. You could take 10 knees. You can raise your fist. You can lie down during the national anthem. With that said, as long as you play the game, I'm good. But here's the thing. All of those stances you're taking, I have the right as an individual to disagree with any of them and also think what you're doing is the hollowest, most ineffective form of modern-day activism. Again, as I like to say, both can be true. Hey, don't tell me what I want to hear. Uh, tell me what you, obviously you always do. Tell me what you really believe. But what do you think of my analogy of like, I'm a Christian. I like Bill Maher. I saw his movie documentary, Religious. I didn't agree with it. He was intentionally mocking me and my religion. Uh, and so I offered, hey, Bill, this is why I disagree, blah, blah, blah. But, but I don't want to cancel Bill Maher. I'm still a fan. I still watch his show. He says a lot of things I disagree with. But, but I, I don't feel threatened by him or, or don't feel like he doesn't have the right to state his opinion on my religion. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm being insensitive. Maybe Jewish people have a right to feel more vulnerable th than I do. But I don't know, because the things that uh, black people experience here in this country, not Germany, here in this country, why shouldn't I feel more vulnerable than them here in this country? Maybe I'm missing something. I'm asking the question sincerely to the audience, to anybody, email me, whatever. Uh, I'm asking, trying to figure out sincerely, Kyrie's tweet of this documentary that is no, the documentary is no good. No one can, can get through it. Is, this is dangerous. I just don't believe it's about this documentary. It's about controlling these athletes. And it, like, we paid you $40 million. We want you to take this position on this, this position on this, and this position on this. This is about COVID and the jab because Kyrie has been proven right. And they know that other NBA players are looking around like, Man, we were sheep, and Kyrie showed a pair, and he was right. Maybe I should show a pair. Well, what do they say about don't kill the messenger? Does that no longer apply? I, I, to the elephant in the room, like Dumbo, is Amazon. They're the ones hosting this thing. They, they, there's no pressure for them to take this down, whether you agree or disagree with the message. 
as it relates to Bill Maher, that's funny. The same guy that wished for a recession and then he got his wish. And guess what? Now he found his religion. I think he's more threatened by the fact after wishing this upon all hardworking blue collar Americans that don't live the way he does, that his own lifestyle is now threatened. And I'll say this, his safety is not that of a Jewish individual. I think he sees the rampant crime and lawlessness going on, and it's now seeping in closer to his zip code. Now it's an issue. Look, I have nothing against Bill Maher. Like you for years, I watched his show. Somewhere around four or five years ago, I was like, okay, I'm done. I pulled the plug. It's okay. I, I didn't want him canceled. He was just canceled from my rotation. And now I see more and more clips of him kind of coming back more in a line to what I believe common sense and i i believe that bill maher his objection is that he sees a deterioration of society and culture and it threatens his very posh lifestyle that's my view of it and that there used to be a time when people in gated communities were very insulated from some of the same things that they instituted like think about the lawmakers that talk about, oh, we need a reforming of the criminal justice system, and it's okay. All right, well, that's good for you in theory. It makes for great sound bites. It makes you very, very popular on social media. But the people that suffer through those policies that have criminals running rampant, a uh, crime that is not actually prosecuted, then you have the whole defund the police movement. They're the ones who have to live with it. Bill Maher now is getting closer to that fire, and he's saying, you know what, I better pull back. I, I think that Bill Maher, and he'll never admit it, I think I've said it before on this show, but he'll never admit it. I, th I think he's starting to realize that a, a culture that's defined by Judeo-Christian values is superior to a secular culture. I think he's starting to realize he'll never jump on board with religion. It's, it's too important for him to be agnostic and to be him be a critic of religion. It would damage his brand. But, but I do think he sees like, well, hold on, man. In this world that the left is building, I can't crack these jokes. I can't slang these jokes. I got to sit around and act like anything that comes out of my mouth could potentially kill someone. And, and that's the standard we've set that anything that comes out of our mouth could potentially kill someone. And oh my God, if people see this documentary, uh, Jewish people are going to be slaughtered. And I, I just, again, that is that goes back to his lifestyle and how it affects him. That, that's the most selfish thing about it. Like I remember a year ago, Jason, I, I find this interesting. Uh, the whole Asian hate movement, right? And there was this group called the Asian American Journalists Association. And all of these journalists on Twitter started like tweeting all at once, we're sick of anti-American Asian hate and the MAGA movement. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. They're being completely used. And this is why I hate as an Asian representation. Leave us out of it. We're being used as pawns. And they try to basically make this a very political issue where they were blaming uh, a certain segment of America. And it turns out they're not the ones actually assaulting our mothers, grandfathers, uncles, aunts, whatever. The evidence is out there from a video perspective. And I don't want to start a fight, but I almost feel like tweeting them saying, do you guys have any regret for propagating this bullshit? Excuse my language. I just have to say it. 
because it's not true. But those particular individuals aren't actually the ones that suffer through this type of propaganda. Again, they live on this ivory tower looking down at us peasants, and they don't understand the impact of their own legislation and what they push to the general public because they don't feel the ramifications. And I believe that is a lot of what Bill Maher is now feeling. I, I, I think there's definite truth in that. I, I just think the guy is smart and I think he's relatively honest, uh, more honest than far, most people and certainly more honest than most people on the left. And I, I just think, and again, part of my position on this is self-serving. My whole career has been based on a brutal honesty that's being illegalized. You know, the people, oh, you can't say that. You can't say this, you can't say that. I used to say that stuff all the time. That's how, that's what made me famous. That's what helped me elevate in my career. And I saw this culture changing. It's like, well, man, you can't say the truth anymore. And being objective has no value anymore. And, and being unpredictable in thought or sticking to the set of values that I've always stuck to, they've taken all the value away from that and it pisses me off. And that's why, you know, part of the reason I'm in this fight and, and have taken the position I have. I don't blame Bill Maher for being a tiny bit self-serving. I think most people are. Yeah, and it is interesting. Go back to job security. I, I texted you guys this story. I don't know if you had a chance to read it from Mike Freeman, who's part of that cabal. He writes this story about, <laughs> I'm worried about the anti-Semitism in, in our community, Black America. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, uh, I'll be honest with you. If you had a leadership of Black Americans, everyday Black Americans, working hard, trying to live the American dream, and if they had a town meeting, I have a hard time believing. All right, guys, we've got 10 problems. First and foremost, anti-Semitism. That's, that's, that's the issue. I, really. We literally had this high-profile death of this noted hip-hop star. Um, I don't listen to rap anymore. And if you look at what is happening in that particular industry, you guys did a whole show on it. Um, a lot of other people are now starting to speak out. I've spoken to a couple of people in boxing that are African-American. After that, they said, you know what? We have an issue. We have to admit it. They told me this off the record because they can't come on the record because there's an issue and I have to protect them. And But I respect them actually admitting that in private. So I have a question for people that are writing this story. I would love to see it. I'd like to chart it. Did they say anything about that? Or is, it, is just Kyrie Irving just the easy punching bag to just take punches at time and time again? Uh, it, again, it's very convenient, convenient to the point of being cowardice. Uh, I'm going to see what kind of coward you are, uh, because I'm going to make you do an approval rating on Charles Barkley. And I want to see if you're man enough to say what oh. you really think about Charles Barkley. Uh, and so uh, let's get to our approval rating on Charles Barkley. This will be very, very interesting, Steve. You're a Charles Barkley groupie. I'm friends with Charles Barkley. We're both here in a tough spot. Chuck, I love you, but I got to keep it real. Uh, job performance. Uh, he's been the best sports broadcaster on TV for a long time, uh, but I've had to mark him down a few points here. I got him at a 20 in job performance. 
you know what? He's still the only reason to watch any NBA programming on a day-to-day basis. If you were to ask me, Steve, you can never watch a single game, but you can watch NBA on TNT anytime you want. I would take the latter. It's not even close. And he's the main reason why. He is the nucleus to that show. I gave him a 25. Still on top of his game. After last night's performance, you still got him at a perfect score. Nobody is perfect. Again, I don't expect anyone, even people that I like. You gave him a perfect score. I did. Because you know why? Because he's at the top (laughs) of his game. But no one's perfect. Oh, can I just tell you something? My favorite, when I still listen to hip hop, one of my favorite rappers is Nas. But he did this third album, and it had this one, his third album was terrible. And he had this one song, I think it was called You Owe Me. I hated it. And after I listened to that album, I said, you owe me my money back. But you know what? I still bought a lot of Nazir Jones records for the next 10 years. Okay? And he had a rebound. Illmatic, Stillmatic, you know, Lost Beats, all that. Again, I don't expect everyone to be in lockstep with my thoughts. That's the higher intellect that I bring to the table. If we rewind this tape five, seven minutes, I don't listen to hip hop anymore. Now, anymore. fast forward anymore. five minutes. I still but listen. I, to, I still listen to hip hop. <laughs> uh, uh, you know what? Let me. Clear. I don't listen to modern day hip hop post 2010. Now, from about the mid 80s all the way to about man. nine, you're telling me you're not the same way, really? You never listen I don't to Run listen, DMC, I don't... LL Cool J, MC Shy D, Cool Mo D. Never. And when you're working, I, if out, I listen to rap, if I listen to rap. That is what I would listen to, that and some Tech Nine. But I just, I mean, when I say I listen to, I mean, I used to listen to rap every day, and now I listen to rap once a month. Uh, and, and when it is, it's some old Tech Nine stuff, vintage Tech Nine. Uh, pretty Jason, much that's I'm about it. Right hey, I will never feel guilty. Go ahead about still listening to rock him to the day I die, especially his first three albums, okay? <laughs> so I'm going to put a caveat to that. I don't listen to hip-hop post-2010, parentheses, end of sentence. Gotcha. All right, now you've <laughs> clarified that. Uh, <laughs> all right, Charles Barkley Groupie, the Korean co-seller of Charles Barkley Groupie. <laughs> this is bad. Let, this let's is hear so what bad. you say about Barkley's character. Uh, listen, I, I, I give myself like a 16, a 15 in character. So uh, there's no way Charles Barkley's higher character than I am. So I gave him a 13. Okay, this uh, I'm going to get hammered. For, I gave him a 20. I still think he's fundamentally among the most honest people in the business. You're going to authenticity. One, you're going to yeah. hold one comment against him. Uh, I still remember when they asked him about the uprising or one the riots. Comment? One, one comment. comment? Charles threw a guy through a plate glass window. The guy probably deserved it. Charles got pulled over in Arizona getting a Hummer from someone that wasn't his wife. Yeah, and just kidding. Just kidding. But (laughs) all right. (laughs) Charles Barkley during like the- And I just want to be clear. If Charles Barkley sees this, I give myself a 15 or 16 in character. I'm tough on people's character. Charles is a 13. You gave him a 20. You're nuts, Kim. Uh, I like the guy. Authenticity. Authenticity. uh, You know, and this is all based off last night. I got Chuck down to a 14 in authenticity. Oh, okay. Well, who's the groupie now? I'm going to call you Superhead. I gave him a 10. I gave him a 10. You know what? I keep it real. But I do. 
That's what I do. What did you just say you're gonna call me? I'll call you Superhead Whitlock. Remember her? Kareem Stephens, whatever her name was. <laughs> All right, Brittany Renner. I'm gonna keep it more. I, I got I got old references, so I don't gotta get my groupies in line. I gotta research that. Gotta research Steve, that a little bit. Yeah. This is a very Christian show, bro. Or it was. Uh, you just I went came full on. Uncle yeah. Jimmy there. Yeah, hey, I know. You. you just went full <laughs> Uncle Jimmy there. Uh, it factor. It factor. Chuck's still the man. I'm gonna give him a 25 in it factor. 25 is easy. I want to go back to the most honest thing he ever said. During the riots, I believe, in Missouri about seven, eight years ago, I think over Michael Brown, and someone asked him, what do you think of those looters? Looters? I think they're scumbags. I was like, wow. And it caused a firestorm. I mean, Let me you ask know you he, this, then. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Would he do that right now today? Would yes. he make that comment again today? That's a good question. I hope we never have to find out. Because I don't want lawlessness in our great country. <laughs> what a cop-out that was, huh? All right. <laughs> I've got Chuck at a grease fire uh, 72. Somehow the Korean Cosell has him at a smoke show 80. Uh, bro, i got to let you go. We, we've, I've, I've gone too long. i got to let you go. I want to talk about this Emmett Till movie. i got to go. Thank you. Great job. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, election night is just around the corner, and the stakes have never been higher for the midterms. Several races across the country have gotten very interesting the past couple of weeks. Will Republicans be able to win a Senate seat in Washington state? Is Kathy Hochul really in trouble in New York? Will voters punish Gretchen Whitmer for her COVID lockdown insanity and finally give her the boot in Michigan? There's a lot to cover this election cycle, and we've got you covered. Stu Bergier serves as Blaze Media's cephologist. cephologist. That's just a fancy word for someone who studies elections. Stu put together a comprehensive guide to let you know exactly what you need to look out for on election night. All you got to do, head on over to theblaze.com slash election guide to receive a free copy of Blaze Media's Ultimate Guide to the Midterms delivered straight to your inbox. Again, that's blaze.com slash election guide, and we will send you everything you need to know to be ready for the big election night. All right, don't go anywhere. We're going to talk about this Emmett Till movie. X. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for a little uh, fearless at the movies. You guys know. Uh, I like to watch movies, and I consider myself a film and movie and a TV critic. Uh, we've discovered that Pastor Anthony also has a passion for movies. Uh, and so last week, I asked Anthony, Delano, and Shamika to go see the movie, the Emmett Till movie. I think it's just called Till. Uh, and so we're going to spend a little bit of time today uh, discussing the Emmett Till movie. It's out in theaters now. I think it debuted on Thursday or Friday last week. Uh, and so I'll get us rolling. Delano's going to join Anthony and I uh, uh, via Skype. Delano's uh, rejoining us two days in a row. Great to have Delano from Washington, D.C. And so, guys, I'll get us started by saying I thought the Emmett Till movie was really good, better than what I expected, uh, but could have been an all-time great movie 
if a few tweaks had been made. And I'll use an analogy of what it could have been and what it should have been, in, in my view, if, if we were still making great movies. It's a historical piece about Emmett Till, the 14-year-old boy, uh, lived in Chicago with his mother, visits family in Mississippi in 1955, uh, is brutally uh, beaten and murdered after whistling at a white woman at a little convenience grocery store in 1955. It's a historic case uh, that has been talked about for a long time. So we all know what happens. There, there aren't really any twists, turns, surprises in the movie. And so when you have a movie like that and you're not doing any documentary, when you have a movie like that, to me the tweak that you make in order to make it great is you bend over backwards with the personal narrative like they did in the movie Titanic. Everybody knows that boat's gonna sink. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They tell a love story that hooks you in or hooks some people in. I liked Titanic, didn't love it, but America loved Titanic because of the Leonardo DiCaprio, and I can't remember, Kate Winsler, was that the woman? Mm -hmm. uh, their love story in Titanic, that's how they framed the story. I didn't think this movie did a good enough job, spent long enough, uh, defining the relationship between Emmett and his mother, Mamie Teal. I think they should have spent the first 35, 40 minutes of the movie clearly defining that, oh my God, this woman and her son had a bond that's unbelievable. This only child from her marriage, her husband goes off to war, and at this time they think he died in battle or off in war. Come to find out years later he was hanged and killed basically, well not basically, was killed over a rape and things like that. But anyway, at this time the movie is taking place, she's under the impression that her husband and Emmett's father has been killed off in the war. But if they had spent the first 30, 40 minutes of the movie just defining how important Emmett was to his mother, and, and then it would have really brought home the pain and, and the emotion of what happened to her. And instead, I think they leaned into the brutality and how the brutality of the way he was killed uh, is what made her so emotional and what the, the kind of the gist of the story is. I, I'm just, I would have leaned more into the love story between the mother and son. And, and because again, all the other stuff most of us already knew how it was going to play out, that the people that did it were going to be found not guilty. Uh, so that's my only critique. So I, I would give the movie a B plus, uh, and the movie could have been an A plus. Uh, that's my take. Uh, wow. So Anthony, uh, Delana, uh, Anthony, you, you go first. and then Wow. We had a similar critique, actually. We actually agreed on the critique. That's crazy when I heard you saying it. Um, I would, I would have been more interested in developing that because, as you pointed out, it would have made her grief process even more relatable. Now, I also, though, believe that they did really handle that well. Uh, having, you know, I'm a minister. I've sat with families. I've been in a lot of those rooms with the parents. I had a tragic situation happen at our church. A uh, young mother of three 
her husband tragically dies and I'm there right after the paramedics. And so I'm having to be there with her as she's telling her kids, you know, daddy's dead. So I, the grief process, they handled well. Um, but no, I, I agree with you. They could have spent more time even on the love story between her and her, I guess, fiance boyfriend, at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boyfriend, Beyonce. I would have wanted to hear that because it left me wanting more why he was so, okay, if that's what you want to do. Like, no, I mean, if this is, we're in this, you know, show a little bit of that conflict, a little bit more of it. Show a little bit more of their love story, how difficult a decision that was. Uh, overall, now I gave it an A minus, uh, but overall it was a really good movie from my take. I think they really displayed the grief process. The other thing I'll point out too, I think they handled the brutality in a very unique way. They didn't show, you know, some mm-hmm. people may have been expecting them to show they didn't even show it, but you felt it. So I, I appreciated that as well. Delano? Uh, I actually had the complete opposite reaction to you all. Um, and I'll say this, the, the movie, I think the runtime is about two hours and 10 minutes. I actually, Jason, I, f- I feel like they did exactly what it is you, you said you wanted them to do. Now your, your perspective may be they should have done more of it, but what I gathered from the first, let's call it, quarter of the film is that they were they were laying out that relationship between mother and son. Um, her anxiety with letting him leave, um, the way in which his family sort of loved him, the, the nickname, Bo, that they called him, right? The relationship between him and his grandmother, Whoopi Goldberg, who, you know, to me, did, did a great role, a, a great job of playing a grandmother. Um, and all throughout, as he was down in Mississippi, mom is nervous and worrying and thinking, what, what is Bo doing? How is he feeling? Um, so I, I got that part. That part was crystal clear to me. Like this child was beloved by his mother and his family. Um, and, I, and I do think that it, it explained why, not that it, any parent wouldn't grieve, but you know, her reaction. And even when you know, the body came back to Chicago, all of that stuff felt real to me, and I, and I felt like it was it was well done. It was tastefully done, and in fact, I would, um, after listening to you two, I actually raise my grade for the film, and I'm gonna tell you why. <laughs> I, I I went from an A minus to an A, because nowadays, and and I'm doing two things simultaneously. One is I'm taking the film, as a film, out of its sort of. Um, it, Time context, right? So I'm thinking, if I watch this film in 2000, how would I how would I rate it, right? So that's why that's the first part of my my analysis. The second part, I'm gonna put it back in its context in 2022 and say, I raised the grade for what it didn't do, and what it didn't do was push an overtly political message and narrative right before the midterms. The closest you could get to that, at least from my perspective, and and I need things to be very obvious for me because I'm I'm a linear thinker is when the casket came back to Chicago and she said, get him out of there, get him out of there, he can't breathe. And I, and I had to be super duper skeptical to oh. say, mm, maybe they're trying to say something. But honestly, it the, the film did not do any of that to, to me. I mean, this is not the Woman King, not even close, not even within 10,000 miles of the Woman King. And I appreciated, to Pastor Anthony's point, you, you can't get around the brutality of, of this situation in Emmett Till's case but 
There was no gratuitous violence. Um, and even when she saw his body, they didn't jump straight to his his face, which everybody recognized, right? She, she they, they took care to show a, a mother's concern for her son, and she sort of traced his body from his feet all the way up to, you know, his face. And then finally they show you the reveal in terms of how he was treated. Um, the one other thing I'll say is this, there were, for me, particularly as a man and as a dad, one of the things that struck me most is um, the feeling I'm assuming his uncle, Preacher, felt when those men came to his house and he felt powerless to defend them. And the first thing I thought in the theater was, where is his gun? This is Mississippi in, in 1955. He has to have a gun in the house. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until mm -hmm. late in the film that you realize he did. And he made the decision and basically said, if I had shot or killed these two white men, they would have came and took my entire family. And I had to make the decision to sacrifice my one nephew for my entire household. That thing, that thing sat on me heavy for the rest of the film. So yeah, I, I think it was tastefully done. I felt the film was dignified. It was, there was no gratuitous violence and I could not detect an overt political message today. Well, I felt like there was a political message, but it was so toned down that it didn't annoy me. And the political message was, hey, use your pain and victimization to uh, uh, seize political power or push a political agenda. That's what I think they were saying the overall message was from Mamie Teal. Here's why I think you're wrong, Delano, about the beginning of the movie. And again, okay. and. I, some movies like this, I like to go watch a second time and I'll put a stopwatch to it and take notes and, and think, because when I'm really trying to evaluate, but other than preparing to go down south, what did they show you about Mamie Till and Emmett? There was no other, there was no, hey, here he was at his 12 year, 12 year old birthday celebration. They had this special moment. Here's how they connected after learning that uh, the father had died or had gone off to war. The only thing mm. they showed us, with, oh, they went on a little shopping thing and some white police officer was disrespectful to them as he prepared to shop to go down south. Everything was about going down south, where to mm. me, I would have started the movie with a flashback scene of her getting married to the husband, mm. Then a flashback scene of her, Whoopi, and uh, the, her father, and, and when they find out the husband is dead, and, and the, the little boy, and then there's the little stereotypical scene of, Bo, you the man of the house, or what I would have given is that, and just, I would have loved to seen him playing, me, me, my mother and brother, used to play Uno and a game called mm -hmm. Speed and Monopoly mm -hmm. and just all, and just how her life was built around this boy. Just give me some of that and then I would have focused in on Preacher and, and them down south and, and to give me a taste of what their existence was like so you would know why he made that decision that he did because it's kind you. of inferred and insinuated but the reality is if that man had stood up they would have slaughtered the whole family and the 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 thing that they the other thing i would have focused on is 
the black man that participated in the murder of Emmett Till, mm. I would have made up some, even if I didn't know the details, artistic license. I would have taken some artistic license and tried to understand what they were doing. Cause that was the most interesting thing. I've known the story, but I had either forgotten or maybe didn't know the story to that detail that black men participated in the killing of Emmett Till. Yeah. That needed to be, th there was opportunity. And again, this is the, the issue I have with a lot of movies. And again, this is a B-plus movie. I'm a critic. I'm always going to find things to nitpick. But, yeah. but they're always telling the story through our engagement with white people rather than our engagement with each other. That is the center of our universe. Her relationship with her son, her relationship with Whoopi, her mother and father, her why is she even sending them down there to these cousins? What's the connection? I got, I've taken those down south trips or mm -hmm. trips to, uh, to Detroit to stay with family members and there's always an explanation why. And those are some, going to visit my Aunt Estelle in Detroit for 10 days. I can still remember that and I was probably six years old. Hmm. These are big deals for kids and, and there's relationships and connections. And this is like, this goes into my whole, pro I hated the movie 12 Years a Slave because mm. they didn't show this man's relationship with his wife and kids and the pain so of his disappearance. Yeah and all that, they only tell the story about, oh, here's what white people did to y'all, mm -hmm. and here's the brutality. Love and all that other stuff ain't really part of y'all's story. And that's why I make the Titanic reference. They wanna tell a story about a, a boat sinking, let's tell a love story. Let, yeah. Again, love is not accentuated in our story, from the color purple to it, any of these great movies. That's our, our reference <laughs> to, uh, to uh, Anthony, and you're probably too young as well, but the, one of the greatest movies, I, I, I probably watch it once every 10 years, Sounder, Cicely Tyson, awesome mm. movie about the love between this man who's wrongly jailed and his family, he's got a son, his dog, Sounder, his wife is Cicely Tyson. They just don't make movies like that anymore, and it, it, it drives me crazy. You know, when you say, I really want to disagree with you, Jason. I do. I came ready. Um, now, some of the things I would have expounded on were a little different. I would have used the symbolism. So when you say the flashback to uh, husband, her first husband, since we don't know all the, de or maybe don't know all the details, you could have shown the casket coming back. You could have shown the envelope that she got back with his belongings and Emmett Till, maybe five, six, seven years old. And she's, you know, yeah, this was your daddy's ring and here's his dog tags. And, and even the other symbol, the watch. Remember when he gave yes. it back to her? Show why that watch is so sentimental to him. And then when he gives it to her, that leads you that. But then the other piece, when you were talking about the, they did give you a little piece of the down south with the uncle. Remember they were in the field and he's saying, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, you know he's a sharecropper, you yeah. get that. But I, I follow you, um, I still gave it a, I still gave it a, you know, an A minus. And, and yeah. Delano, I wanna play, mm -hmm. I, I'm sorry, I, I saw, and you said the thing didn't get political, but I saw something on your Twitter feed oh, yeah. uh, that I wanted to ask you about. 
mm-hmm. uh, give you a chance to talk about that, and then then we got to move on. I want to give Shamika a chance to give okay. her review. But uh, uh, here's the clip uh, that you responded to over Twitter. Marco Rubio is a liar. He is. Y'all see that debate? Lied his ass off. Val Demings will win. She will win. She will win. So I say to Marco and all those other weak men, Before you lie to us, remember Rosa sat on that bus. Before you tell your tale, remember Mandela sat in that jail. Before you do anything, you remember Dr. King. Before you cheat and steal, I dare you to Google Emmett Till. Lotto, uh, <laughs> your thoughts. I think that's some actress, am I correct? Yeah, she was in um, Blackish. Uh, she she played yeah, uh, yes. uh, Anthony Anderson's mom in Blackish, and she's been in some other things. And I mean, Jason, this l- let me let me respond to one thing that you said about about the movie, because um, I had a similar feeling. There was a point where Mamie Till, I want to say it was her cousin was working with the local NAACP. She's the one who sort of got her tied into them. And my thought was, I wrote in my notes, this is like the never let a good scandal, never let a scandal go to waste moment. Um, And it was interesting because she was resistant to allowing her son to be used for a quote unquote greater purpose at that time. But I think then you see she makes a transition. And again, you, you have to situate this in its proper context. This is 1955. Right. And, and there was a racial caste system in this country and, and black people did not have full citizenship in this country. So you, you see it. And it took her a long time to get to that point. And by the end of the movie, then it was, you know, let my tragedy be used for a, a greater good, so to speak. But what you see this woman doing is ripping all of that out of context where Emmett Till is no longer a, a boy who was murdered brutally. He's a punchline. He's a slogan. The, one, of the, one of the redeeming qualities of that video is that the crowd, by and large, did not go along with her. And I don't know if they didn't do it because they didn't understand what she was trying to get them to do, which is basically chant Emmett Till as if they were at like a football game or if they just genuinely didn't want to go along with it. But 
one of the things that frustrates me, and I put this in my column, is that the 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 black folk, the aristocracy, right, the pundits, the politicians, the performers, the preachers, these people trample on on American history and on black history for their own political gain on a daily basis. And they they do not exhibit one one hundredth of the dignity that Mamie Till did in in right in the midst of tragedy. They care nothing about her son. They care nothing about his death. This is what they do. They 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 look for for black bodies strewn on the ground. And this 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 is true. BLM was this is this is the heart of their movement. And they say, how can I use the death of this black boy to advance my political agenda? And this lady is is more sort of nakedly honest, quote unquote, than most, because she didn't even try to tie it into anything. She just started naming people from Nelson Mandela's not even an American. You know what I mean? <laughs> so she just started naming people for the sake to say, Marco Rubio is a Republican conservative. He's racist. He's a white supremacist. Uh, you know, Val Demons is a black woman. She's going to save us. And I'm, I'm just disgusted by the whole thing. Uh, and this is really the Selma syndrome that I talk about often. Um, this is this is the Selma syndrome at work. They try to they grab something from America's, you know, sort of brutal, bloody racial history. They grab their desired political candidate. They smash the two together and they tell black folk, if you don't vote for Val Demings or some Democrat, then don't be surprised if you end up where Emmett Till ended up. And I, I can't think of anything more dishonoring and, and more dishonorable than doing that to 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 people who have actually been brutally murdered in our history. Delano, thank you so much. Thank uh, you guys. Appreciate you coming on back to back. Uh, you're not Kawhi Leonard. Uh, you're not, uh, what is it, load management? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're playing on back to back days. Thank you so much. All right. All right. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Uh, we'll hear from Shamika Michelle. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back. Fearless at the movies. Uh, you've heard from me, Anthony, and Delano. We had one other person uh, go see uh, the Emmett Till movie, Shamika Michelle, with a uh, woman's perspective uh, on this movie. Shamika, uh, I think you heard us, uh, our little dissection. I, I felt like this could have been a, a black Titanic. Uh, could have been one of the all-time great movies. Instead, it settled to just be a good movie. Could have been great. Uh, what were your thoughts? So I thought it was a well-done movie. I thought it was good because it was able to captivate my attention. I actually went in a little distracted, looking like, you know, is, is Whoopi wearing a fat suit? Like, I was a, a little just not really there all the way. <laughs> 
But as the movie progressed, like it really captivated me. I was drawn into the story. And as I heard people sniffling and the, uh, the sobs in the, in the movie, it honestly made me ask the question of why. Like it's almost 70 years. Why now? And I know Delano said that he it, it wasn't like a political spin, but I remember the part about it being an election year and how important that is. And when something happens during a, an election year, you can use this. This is what the guy was telling um, Mamie Till. And so that's the question I was kind of asking myself, like of all the documentaries that have been done on this, why did we need a movie that would actually pull on heartstrings that way? Because people were like audibly crying in the movie. And I even had a tear here and there because it was just as a mom, you never want to see another mom in such pain. And so I, I was really wondering what the purpose of was of the movie to come out right before midterms and to be so emotionally heart wrenching. I'm going to say, isn't this what they call Oscar season? Isn't this when you put out the best movies? Late October, early November. Hmm. And so I see this more as a, it's a tiny bit of an election play, but it's mostly an Oscar play. This is when you put out the best movies. And, and, and the other thing that, that you made me think of that I wanted to put into the record, if Whoopi had been given more camera time, she was in the middle, I thought, or in the early process of an Oscar-level performance. I really enjoyed Whoopi's acting. It's one of the first times I see her on The View, and I, I don't think of her as an actress. This took me back, like, she's a hell of an actress. And, mm -hmm. and, and that was the other thing I thought that I said to some friends of mine that, that aren't on the show that kind of disagreed with me. And I said it to people, uh, uh, at the theater when we were all, a bunch of us stood around, talked about the movie afterwards. Uh, I did not, I thought Whoopi was the best actor in, in the movie. And I thought the woman that played Mamie Till was okay, but wasn't, I thought that role should have been some. we should all have been leaving there going like, oh, she gonna win the Oscar, boy, that was off the chains. I thought she was just okay. Mm. And I, you know, when you talk about the political spin on it, um, I take kind of Delano's side on that in terms of the reluctance of making whatever tragedy this family dealt with into a political piece. Like they were reluctant. Mamie was reluctant. Even when the first offer is coming, like, hey, you know, maybe we need to do. And she's like, I, I can't even, she's like, I can't, I can't even process. She was grieving her child like this is my baby i just lost you know the love the one of the last loves of my life in this point like this is what i'm concerned about only until later and so i say that to say even for us whatever kind of crime takes off and man it's a tragedy my first reaction and maybe it could be the the, the minister in me but my first reaction is wait i don't i'm not necessarily looking at the circumstance but this is somebody's child that's died. You know, somebody just lost their loved one. Let's spend a moment in that before we quickly turn this into a political piece. 
And even to those that are trying to turn Emmett Till, you know, like the suggestion is even now into a political piece. That's not how it started. That's not even their angle. So let's focus on that way before we get into any kind of let's make this into a big political standpoint. And so, Shamika, you're insinuating, come right out and say, you think there was a political agenda with this movie. Yeah, I think a lot of what they do is political. And I think a lot of what they do is to pull on the heartstrings of black people. Like we have all of it's always something. We have all of these slavery movies and now we have this Emmett Till. Like they always want to take us back to a painful place. How many movies of the Holocaust do we have? How many movies of, of, of Pearl Harbor? we have i mean i don't maybe because i'm black i don't go see them but it just seems like no there's a lot of holocaust movies yeah yeah there's a lot of holocaust movies after Anne frank maybe i missed it but it's just like (laughs) we're constantly getting this over and over and over again and i don't know it just it made me feel like wow when i just listened to the women in the theater crying and and for me even when I thought about it, I took my grandmother with me. I sat there with my grandma and this was a this was a horrible tragedy, right? And it like I said, I had tears. But I sat there with my grandmother who lost her oldest son who was shot in the head by another black man. I thought about my my childhood friend who lost her son at 15 at the hands of another black person. And I thought after all of this that this woman went through and people before us, the heartache and the pain that they had to deal with, why now do we actually voluntarily lynch each other every day and i went to this movie on sunday and i text hadley my thoughts about that and then we get the news uh yesterday about takeoff and it just bothers me that after these people fought so hard and watching this woman like any parent losing a child is devastated and i don't think that because they weren't murdered by white people that is any less painful yet we voluntarily now do do it to mothers all across the country every day like it's nothing and so i just i had mixed emotions on this it was just going all over the place and i don't think if you had i don't know if i would have willingly went to see it just to actually be in such an emotional space for something that is 70 years old I can say I probably, if I didn't want to talk about it and evaluate it, I probably wouldn't have gone to the, see the movie mm. just because I know the story and didn't feel like that there was going to be something in there that I would learn. I, I'm going to go back to, again, and this is something that's never, ever talked about, and it relates to your point, Shamika, is a lot of cinema as it relates to black stories. They're really not about us, and and, and that's with my little, this story was somewhat about us, but even 12 Years of Slavery, they gave an Oscar to, that wasn't about us. That was about the brutality of white slave owners. And, and, and a lot of these movies, again, because there's all kinds, you can take a million different angles on movies like this. You could have done a movie about Emmett Till based on the lawyers who prosecuted the case. You could do it on the uncle who didn't defeat, you could do it by, 
And, and but if this movie was really going to be about us, I go back to what I said at, at the beginning. It should have been about Emmett and his mama and their relationship. It should have been about Preacher and his family surviving in Mississippi. And then the third element should have been about the black men who participated yes. in the murder of Emmett Till. Yes. Would have been that was fascinating, something. would have been about us, giving us a chance to, well, let's evaluate what we're doing and what our experience was through this. But, but we're always convinced, we're always told by corporate media, by Hollywood and everything, that the most interesting aspects of our life are, are, is our engagement with white people. Mm -hmm. And again, nobody watching this show will think that I have a problem with white people. I don't. But they're not the most interesting facet of my life. And so right. if someone told the Jason Whitlock journalism story, bunch of different ways you could tell it. You could tell the story of Bob Hamill and Andy Graham, two white guys uh, that really had an immense impact on my career when I first got out of college at the Bloomington Herald Times. These guys bent over backwards and helped me and inspired me and taught me things. You could tell my story through them. And, <laughs> but if you wanted to tell an accurate story, you tell it about me, my mama and my daddy, and, and because they had the most impact on every aspect of my life, including me as a journalist. My mother's the one that, oh, this boy likes to read the newspaper. Let me get the morning and the evening edition of the newspaper. That my father was the person, first thing in the morning, he would grab the entire newspaper, go to the bathroom, and read everything in the paper. And that's where I wanted to be like my father. I started reading the newspaper, primarily the sports <laughs> section. I get, there's a way to tell my story through my family. And you know, if you, the sense of humor that shows up in my writing or you got to tell the story about me and my uncle, my uncle John, one of the funniest human beings on the planet. We, you know, you could tell the story about my godmother who used to let, let me listen to Richard Pryor albums. Anyway, there's just a million, but if Hollywood was to ever tell the story, which they won't, and I'm not saying I'm worthy of it, but they would probably focus in on Bob Hamill and Andy Graham. And if, I can name some other people that have helped me in my journalism career, uh, black and white. They probably took, Mike Royko's my idol as, anyway, I'm just telling you, there's a reluctance to tell our story and to evaluate our relationship. And, and that's what I think holds us back is we don't spend enough time evaluating how we treat each other and mm, just focusing right. in on that. That if, 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 if we get along, support each other, love each other, look at all the success we could have. If we don't get along and support each other, if we don't respect each other's life value, well, that's how you end up killing each other at the drop of a hat. That's why uh, Takeoff, they'll be having a funeral for him shortly. But we need to be evaluating. That's a fascinating story, but Hollywood thinks it's, it's unworthy mm. of being told, regardless of who the director is uh, and regardless of who the stars of the movie are. I, it's hard for me to 
think of any of the great movies. That you know, I got a pushback, Jason. You know, they did. If you look at the, the minutes, you were talking about the minutes. They spent more minutes, way more minutes, in my opinion, on the black perspective in that movie. They dealt with her grief. They dealt with the NAACP. They dealt with even her parents. They dealt, and I appreciate that they added the whole Medgar Evers connection. They did show, you know, some of the white experiences, but they were brief. And even I thought when she confronted the uncle, like that was a touchy moment to, you had a good, you should have, you know. Great moment. Yeah. Could have been greater okay. if there was more background. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. a great yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. I agree. With, it could have been. But I, I think they, they did a lot of, lot of black experience in that movie. Did. But the yeah. movie is about what happened to this woman because of racist white people. Yeah. Right. And I and, wanted and to let's know. totally ignore that there were some black folks on right, that truck right, 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 that right. participated. Exactly. We got no details on any of that. Yeah. yeah. Right. And you're right. Go ahead, Shanika. I'll give you. Yeah. Yeah, that's the part I would have loved to know about, too. That was my first time hearing that black people were involved. And like, I know they reopened the case trying to see if the Miss Bryant should actually be charged. She lives right in the next city over from me. I've never heard anybody talk about well, should the black men have been charged? Like, I just don't know what happened to them. It's like they uh, rode off into the sunset and we heard nothing else about them ever. So that's something that I wish they would have gone into detail um, about a little more because I thought that was a, a very important part or piece of the story that we've missed for decades. Shamika, thank you for watching it. Uh, I think here in about 12 or 13 days, I'm gonna need you to go see Wakanda forever. Uh, we'll circle back uh, and have more fearless at the movies. <laughs> I'm going to see it, you gotta go see it. Uh, we'll do some Wakanda forever, the next fearless at the movies. All right, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock, hit notifications, hit subscribe. Uh, Anthony's here because we're gonna do some Tennessee Harmony as well. Virgil Walker is going to join us. Uh, we're going to pick up on the Kyrie conversation and just what's going on, uh, how we should feel as Christians about Israel and, and how, what does the Bible say about what as Christians we should support Israel. Uh, I need uh, the difference between the Mosaic Covenant and the uh, Abrahamic Covenant. I need that explained. Anthony's gonna do that for us. Alright, welcome back. It's Wednesday. It's time for some Tennessee Harmony. Uh, Pastor Anthony Walker here with me in studio as he was in the uh, previous segments about the Emmett Till movie. Now we get to the favorite part of our show. We're gonna be joined from Atlanta by uh, Virgil Walker. Got the Walker brothers here uh, from G3 Ministries. Uh, Anthony, uh, before we get into this discussion, before I frame up this discussion, could you bless our discussion with a prayer? Father God, we are thankful for this day and for uh, the opportunity to 
uh, share your word wherever we go. Father, we're thankful for this platform uh, that allows us to discuss several different things from various different perspectives. But Father, we pray that the conclusion of the matter is your word. We're thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Kyrie Irving has been in the news. Uh, he's been accused of being anti-Semitic for supporting uh, a documentary about, from the black he Hebrew Israelite perspective. Kanye West, of course, has been in the news for several weeks about his dispute and his uh, arguments with uh, people that he described as, you know, Jew Jewish business people or whatever. And so we've been having a lot of conversations on this show about black people and our relationship with the Jewish community. And, and I wanted to get, and this is what we always try to do, and that's why we really appreciate you, Anthony, and Virgil. Uh, we need to get just a foundational biblical understanding mm -hmm. of what God said about his chosen people, the Jewish people, and, and where God, as Christians, where we should stand on Israel. And, and just, I just wanna bring a biblical point of view and foundation to a lot of the conversations we've been having about Kyrie and Kanye. And so if, if, if guys, if we could just start with helping someone like me understand the difference in two covenants related to Israel, the Abrahamic covenant and I believe the Mosaic covenant, mm -hmm. The difference, Anthony, start us out and then Virgil chime in. Explain those two covenants and what the differences are. Okay. Uh, in the book of Genesis, God comes to uh, a man named Abram at the time. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a covenant with Abram. And this covenant includes one, that he would be a father. Now, here's a guy whose wife, Sarah, uh, was not able to bear children, but God says, you're gonna have children in this union. And it is through that union and through those descendants that you will have a great people. Uh, it's mentioned, let me show you this scripture, Genesis 12 verses two through three. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we're looking from Abraham, his name changed because he goes from not being a father to being a father. His wife's name changes from Sarai to Sarah. She goes from being motherless to being a mother of many. And it is from this union that we would see this great people. God would go on to say that they would be more numerous than the stars of the sky, more numerous than the grains of sand on the shore, which is basically saying they're going to be a great nation. Whoever blesses them, I'll bless. Whoever curses them, I will curse. Sometime later, um, Abraham, uh, his grandson, uh, a guy by the name of Jacob, Jacob has this rough, tough life. Uh, he had a twin brother, but he had a tough life and it is one occasion that he wrestles an angel of the Lord, representative of God. And it is in that struggle uh, that God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. The very word Israel means struggle. And it was symbolic of the struggle that they had. So sometimes you hear people called Jews or you'll hear them called 
Israelites. This is where that comes through and through Abraham, through Israel, through Isaac, through Israel and on down the line, this great nation would be. Then we move to Moses, another uh, great man of God that God calls to lead this people who were now in Egypt, captive as slaves, to lead them out of Egypt so that they would become this nation that they were destined to be. So he makes the Mosaic covenant. Uh, and this is uh, in Exodus chapter 19, verses five through six. This is a part of this. He says, now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So God makes this covenant with Moses and with Israel, the children of Israel. And basically this covenant is going to say, hey, I promise to be your God. You promise to be my people. Uh, I will protect you. I will guide you. Uh, I will take care of you. Anyone comes against you. I've got you. I'm your God. And you are going to be my special people that no matter what else is going on, I've got you. OK, that's the Mosaic Covenant. How we get to how we interpret that beyond those two covenants depends on a couple of angles as to how people deal with that as it relates to today, because the term Israel or Jew in scripture has meant several different things. And I've got a slide about that as well before we get um, Virgil in. Jew initially, uh, based on the context, described the descendants of Abraham. Okay, so just those who were descendants of Abraham, that would be considered a Jew or Israelite. But then as we progress through history, that term became synonymous with those who were in the nation of Israel. Again, as history progresses, it becomes those who practice Judaism. Okay, those who keep the commandments, who keep the Torah, the uh, first five books of the Bible, the old law. But in the New Testament, this term becomes synonymous with those who are obedient to Christ, to the gospel of Christ and those who are faithful to Christ. Paul says uh, in Galatians chapter three, if you are faithful to Christ, if you're obedient to the gospel, you too are the seed of Abraham. So you are Jews. So lastly, I'll say this, the, the umbrella term on either side would be described as this. There are those people who believe that you are Jews by ethnicity, which there are Jews that are ethnically connected. But then there are those who practice Judaism, those who are still to this day upholding uh, the, the commandments, the Torah, etc. And then there are those who view themselves as uh, Israel, the covenant Israel, that we have uh, obeyed the gospel. We have following Christ and we are connected through a spiritual connection, not through linear. And that could be Jew or non-Jew that abides by that. How we handle that today depends on how you interpret what God is going to do with the land of Israel. But I'll let you continue. Virgil, I, I want you to 
if you have anything to add to that quickly, and then I have a follow-up question for you. Yeah, no, th this was, a, I mean, a, a great unpacking of, of, you know, how we view those covenants. God has always dealt with his people by way of covenant. You can go all the way back to something that you remember from Sunday school, the Noahic covenant, right? That was the idea that God would not uh, destroy the earth uh, with water again. And so from that, we get the rainbow in the sky. Uh, you, you get, you have the Abrahamic covenant, you have the Mosaic covenant. The other, the only thing that I would add to that is that those covenants, um, one doesn't nullify the other, right? The Mosaic covenant did not nullify the Abrahamic covenant, which is why when, when God gives the Mosaic covenant, you have a lot of the ideas about the protection of God's people that that's revisited in the Mosaic covenant because it was also mentioned in the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, after, after the Mosaic covenant, you'll have the Davidic covenant. David will be promised that, that there will be someone from his lineage that will be on the throne forever. And then you have the New Testament, which is, a, which is the new covenant. So those, those are the covenants, the major covenants that cover uh, what takes place in Scripture. But again, Pastor Anthony did a fantastic job of laying out the, the two important ones related to our current conversation. So, Virgil, what I wanted to ask you, and then Anthony, you follow in behind. I, I hear that, particularly the Mosaic Covenant, and for me, as like, okay, it sounds like to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, God has said, you know what? I like these people. I'm going to put a hedge of protection around their state, their country, or whatever. And that locks me, well, if God likes him, he's gonna protect him. That means I should as well. And that's where my position like, well, we need to support Israel uh, because God supports Israel. And, and it, am I, for a layman's interpretation of that, the average guy in church, is that what we should believe and feel? Yeah. I can see why those kinds of connections would be made. One of the things for us as Christians to consider First of all, we are we are not a part of the Mosaic Covenant or a part of the Abrahamic Covenant directly. We are indirectly connected through the new covenant, the covenant that we uh, engage in related to Christ and him crucified. We then would treat all people with great value, dignity and worth because we're all image bearers of a sovereign God. We would get that understanding from the Judeo-Christian Bible worldview that we that we love and respect. Uh, so we should treat all people with 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 uh, with great care, uh, with, with great compassion, with great concern. We, we should also recognize that the people of Israel are a special people that God chose for a particular purpose. The purpose was for them to bring about the Messiah. And in the day and time that they were in, they were to be a protected people for the purpose of bringing us the Messiah. And so sh should we in our day think poorly of the people of Israel? No, we should think greatly of the people of Israel. We should be thankful for what we have in the way of the Old Testament and, and, and what we understand about the revelation of God. Uh, we shouldn't, you know, we, we shouldn't uh, think about them in ways that, that I think go against some of the conversations that you've had, which is, simply because they're Jewish people, simply because they're the children of Israel, they can do no wrong. 
or that there's not anything that, that we should say against them as a result. Uh, th- that's not what's, what's being said in, in either the context of Scripture uh, in fact, God himself would have other nations subjugate them, put them into slavery as retribution, as, as, a, as an act of his wrath because of their disobedience to the law and tenets of God. So, so th- there's, there's a, a lot of things to kind of take into consideration. I don't think that from what we hear in this Old Testament covenant, Mosaic covenant, um, the, the Abrahamic covenant, that we should get the idea that there's nothing we can say or do and that, that the people of God or, or Israel in this, in this context can do no wrong. That would, be, that would not be what the text would be implying. Can do no wrong. Both of you guys are, Anthony, I'll start with you here. Zionism. Mm-hmm. Is, I understand it as like it's a movement, a political theory, a thought, a philosophy of support basically Israel at all costs. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is that accurate? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the basic, yeah. And, and so is that a good thing, bad thing? I hear that word Zionist used as a compliment. It seems like I hear it used as a pejorative. It, 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 I, I would probably right now unless I come out of this conversation with a different understanding, I would probably consider myself a Zionist. I, 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 mm-hmm. I, but maybe I'm wrong for thinking that. See, that's, that's where this conversation gets muddy, hairy, especially with all the titles and all the labels that we get on it, which is why I just try to get back to the word and help yeah. us to understand what this really means. What Virgil was just saying was really good in how he explained the old and the new covenant and what that means to us today. Uh, Jesus mentions in John chapter one, uh, around verse number 15, he says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So what Jesus is stating very plainly, very simply, is a broader context to look at the entire Old Testament in our Bibles, the entire Old Covenant, was really doing one big thing. It's pointing to Jesus coming. Mm -hmm. Even the fact that God chooses the Jews, they were not at the time that he chose them the best people, the whatever. He just, I'm gonna choose you in his benevolence and in his wisdom, and you're gonna be the people through whom my son, future tense, the Messiah would come through. But when he comes, Now everything is under his feet. He is the Lord and master. He's it. So as Virgil pointed out, and and the scripture obviously uh, validates the protection, the uh, care that God uses. I'm making sure that when Jesus is going to come, he's going to come through this. I'm going to keep you. But that word struggle that I mentioned earlier, that word struggle kept coming up because the Jewish people, the Israeli people at the time, they would cozy up to God, worship him, love him, serve him, and they would be blessed. And then they would flirt with other gods and they would flirt with other nations. And, and God would at times. Backslide. Yeah, yeah, backslide. They would, they would do all. And then God would punish them. Sometimes his punishment is directly to them. Sometimes his punishment involved him calling in other nations to punish them, to take over them, just to bring them back to him. Again, that struggle ensues. But it all leads up to Jesus, all right? And so when Jesus gets here, all right, we got the one. 
The reason why this causes some issue with us, even politically today, is that people look at that Mosaic or Abrahamic covenant and they stop and they just say, "Okay, then they're the special people. Then whatever we do, we got it because the scripture said if we bless them, he's going to bless us. So as long as I'm supporting these people, this is before there was a state of Israel. They were just a group of people at the time. They were just a nation wandering through land. But now politically that has become, well, we've got to stand with the Israeli state that no matter what goes on, we got to stand with them because we want to bless them, which is where God is saying, wait a minute. No, from a spiritual context, we are now Abraham's seed because we follow Christ. And and given that all of us, all mankind now, Jew, ethnically or non-Jew, we all bear God's image as it relates to Jesus Christ. I've got to serve this risen king of Jesus and no other gods. That's where. So if we if we just stopped with Mosaic Covenant, we may end up with the political piece. But if we continue reading, continue fleshing it out. We'll see God's ultimate plan. Yeah, I want I want to jump in on something Pastor Anthony a- Anthony mentioned, and and, and I, I love how he set that whole piece up, helping us to understand that we have to view things differently on the other side of of the cross. Uh, really, truth be told, now there are only Jason two kinds of people on the planet, right? Uh, multiple ethnicities, but two basic kinds of people. That is, those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. That's it. Those are the categories. You're either in Christ or you're outside of Christ. If you're in Christ, you follow the things that Christ dictates in his word. Uh, You love Christ, you follow his commands, you, you, not for the purpose of salvation, but as evidence of the fact that you have indeed been saved, you understand what Christ has done for you. Those who are outside of Christ operate as the world, we call we call them the world. And in our vernacular, oftentimes we use the word culture. Well, culture dictates this. Well, culture is dictating that. Truth be told, Scripture says clearly that culture is the world. The world does this. The world does that. We shouldn't be surprised by anything the world does because the world is of its father, the devil. They, they lie, they cheat, they steal, they do all kinds of forms of wickedness. We should not be surprised at all about what the world does. We often say we expect the world to world because that's what they do. We should expect Christians to live in a manner that honors God and, and, and walks out his plan for their lives. So when you say in Christ and those outside of Christ, you take me back. I gave a speech in Florida, not going to name the group, but a a lot of the audience was Jewish. Mm -hmm. And I only really got one speech. I'm going to get up and talk about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And and so that's what I'm on. And I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, I'm talking to mostly Jewish people. I, I didn't know that me basically saying, hey, look, there's only one solution, and it's Jesus Christ. There were some in the audience that were offended by that and approached me afterwards. So I'm oblivious to it all. I, I really am because I got, I only know one message, mm-hmm. and, and, and I didn't know that that message would be offensive to some. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, Virgil, and, and let, who, who are the Jewish people? Because it's hard for me to understand and factor it all. 
that are offended because they don't believe about Jesus the way that we do. Not all of them do. And I, I'm wondering if the ones that follow the Torah and are more Old Testament, do they disagree with the in Christ, out of Christ? And do they look at us and say, y'all the ones living in the world. We still right. following. <laughs> mm. Y'all the ones half stepping. Yeah, and, and, right. and, you know, I, I, anyway, could I don't know if I've ask a good question, but if you could answer whatever yeah. I just asked. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get it. Yeah, again, those who are inside, those who are outside of Christ, if, if we understand what scripture says about who Jesus is, that he was the Lamb of God, he, he was slain a before the foundation of the world, right? That, that that was the plan of God in eternity past, that we see that in Ephesians chapter one, uh, verses uh, three through five. We also understand that, that that plan was not a brand new plan. So we didn't come up with this idea of Jesus showing up, you know, at uh, 2000 years ago. This was the plan of God from the beginning. We could even we could even see the initial stages of this in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. After the fall of man, we have what's called the proto euangelion or the or the first gospel where what's said to the serpent is that that there would be one who would come that that the woman would strike the heel of the serpent and the serpent would crush or rather the, 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 that the serpent would would strike the heel and that and that and and that the savior would, would, would crush the serpent's head you'll see that again in Genesis 3:15 and so we we this was the Christ and the Messiah and his coming was the plan of God from the beginning uh, and so for, for Jews who, who don't believe, who aren't, aren't follow, following Christ, we would consider those who need to hear the message of the gospel. Uh, there was a, uh, a, uh, an episode uh, that I watched a while back where Dave Shapiro had interviewed John MacArthur. Uh, it's a great interview uh, where they, they, were, they were talking about this particular issue. And one of the things that I was very proud of was the fact that MacArthur, Protestant evangelical, serious about his faith, made no bones about presenting who Christ is to, 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 to Ben Shapiro. Why? Because we, we believe that unless you confess Christ as Lord and Savior, repent of your sins and place your faith in his finished work, you are not saved. And if we believe that, then we have every obligation to those we love that call themselves Jews to share that message of hope with them. The, the very book that they hold, the Old and New Testament, tell a meta-narrative, an overarching story of God's plan. It begins with God, man, Jesus, cross, resurrection. Over and over and over again, the, the, the whole of the Bible is going to walk you through those five issues, God and his created order man and his fall, Jesus and the need for redemption, for Messiah, the cross, the need for the atoning work of Christ and the justification of our sins and resurrection. Resurrection speaks of two things, not simply the resurrection of Christ, but our resurrection unto eternal life for those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus. All right. Ooh, he, he, hit it. he hit it good, Jason. I'm going to show you the connection uh, and what you're looking at. He's telling the complete narrative of God's plan from before our time, before time, through time, through scripture, up to Jesus, and even how we play a role in it after Jesus has resurrected. Um, the problem that can come about is how you handle the complete narrative. Yeah. If we stop at David, 
Okay, if we stop at King David in the Old Testament, from a Jewish perspective, that was kind of the height of where they were. They go from being no people enslaved in Egypt to being, you know, at the height of world power. You know, David was it. So that's it for them. That is wow. You know, and, and so we have the law. We have this great king who, who represents kind of a, a, a God, you know, priest. He's a warrior. He's a political leader. Everything that we need. This is the guy. Right. And all through time, God is saying, no, 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 I've got one on the way. This is just the prototype. This is what he's going to look like. Wait till you see my son. They said, no, this is it. So even when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when you read the Gospels, you see many of the Jewish audience struggling with Jesus because it's like we've already had we've seen the, we, what who is this guy? And that, you know, kind of hesitance to accept him was a part of the problem because we're still back here with the old. The other issue that relates even to some today is they see Jesus not as the supreme Jesus, as the Lord Christ Messiah. They see him as an extension of what God was doing in the Old Testament, not the fulfilling of the old law, but just kind of continuing it. So in Matthew five, when Jesus kind of establishes the, the new law, they're saying, oh, no, he's just repeating the old stuff. And so that's, again, if you view Jesus from that lens, you're not going to see him for the savior that he was always meant to be. You're going to see him as an extension. That may be the case as to why some today may be resistant about Jesus as the Messiah, the Lord, master, savior. The other thing, you know, as it relates even to black Hebrew Israelites is this dynamic of, okay, well, who are, who is Israel today? And that's what Virgil was saying today. Now, and this is, this is where Paul begins. Paul is saying, okay, I got it. I see what you've been doing, God. The mystery has been revealed. You're really making us into a new person. Those who are either in Christ or not in Christ, but they still see, wait a minute, who, which tribe was who? So they're going back and trying to find which tribe And now black Hebrew Israelites, many of them, because there are several different camps, they view this from the perspective of, wait, we are the real Jews, black people. We are the ones who have endured this immense struggle. We are the ones that God has hidden his special power in. And that's why the world has conspired against us to hold us down, that if we ever understand who we really are, that we're really God's special chosen people, we wouldn't treat ourselves badly. We would not allow them, whoever the them is, be it white people or whoever, we would not allow them to treat us in a particular way. They're only doing that because it's a part of the deception. And there are those that believe that uh, the ethnic Jews today may not be the authentic Jew. So it's you guys are fake and phony. We are. Re- it, it gets hairy so and all I, of that. I but hear all that and I hear a clash of egos. And I wonder, <laughs> is it even important? Because I hear all that and, yeah, I, and, yeah. and, and I'm like, I really don't care. Right. Right. I'm a child of God. Yes. I worship Jesus Christ. Yes. I don't I don't need to settle this dispute. 
What right. it, whoever's right, whoever's wrong or whatever, I could care less. And so I, I, I'm hearing like ego run amok and it's like, <laughs> well, until I'm rightfully crowned as God's chosen people, mm-hmm. I can't fix myself. So, and I'm like, well, oh, 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 here's, here's why, here's why <laughs> that is though. You've accepted the gospel of Christ. You understood that as a man, I have sin. I have a sin problem and I need a savior. That's basic cut. But if you have not accepted that, then you're going to deal in genealogies. You're going to try to process how do I deal with what I'm going through in life and how do I put this into context? And for some, especially those on the black Hebrew Israelite side, for some, this puts into context even through the lens through which they interpret scripture as to how we deal with life. Why did, you know, white people enslave us? Why did, why did, you know, you know, why even now do we not value each other? Why are we killing each other? Why is all of this? Why is so much deception? Why is the media lying to us? Why is all of this? And they say, oh, because they know that we're really and, and th- so they haven't accepted the complete narrative. But when you accept the complete narrative, it comes down to I'm a sinner in need of a savior. God sent that savior who comes into this world into flesh, lives for us, dies for us, takes all of our sin and resurrects himself and even has resurrection power for us. So, Virgil, I want you to chime in here. Does it matter? If. American blacks are the real Jews or what? Does it matter? Yeah. Ephesians chapter two, verses 11 through 22 answer that where 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 scripture says Paul writes to the church at Ephesus that, that Christ has broken down the wall of hostility in his body, making two men, Jew and Gentile, into one through his body. And so that's the, at the end of the day, if you're in Christ, you're a part of one body of Christ, not two, not Hebrew Israelite, not even black man, white man. We are one in Christ Jesus. And the beauty of what Christ did on the cross is that we are, we are one, not only now in the temporal, if you're in Christ, but we are one for eternity. So, so making all of those isms and schisms and trying to figure out who did you wrong through some, through some lens, is absolute foolishness. What it is, is it's black liberation theology uh, from James Cone that, that's actually foisted upon the text of scripture. That's, that's, called, that's called eisegesis. When you, when you, when you take your, your, your experience, your life experience, and you, you p- push it on top of the text in an effort to, to see your own way in, into things, that's the wrong way to view scripture exegesis, where you take out of the scripture what's actually in the scripture, you're all the better for it. And that's that's what the Hebrew Israelite did. And and, and going back to, to, to what my brother Anthony just said just eloquently, he, he, he talked about the, the issue of, of Jesus and the covenants and all of that, and that Jesus was the fulfillment of the covenants. Look at what, what Jesus did. And we'll just look at the two covenants that we mentioned earlier, the Mosaic covenant. Mosaic covenant was absolutely a promise of, to the people of God that God would protect them, give them, give them land. But it was also that it was also part of the 10 commandments. Well, what do we know that Jesus did as it relates to the law? He fulfilled it. He, he operated 
perfectly in it and he was sinless. He fulfilled the law so that the sin debt could be placed upon him. He who was sinless, who knew no sin, became sin. Why? For you and me, so that our sin debt could be paid for. A debt, Jason, that that you, me, nor Anthony could pay, God sent his son to pay on our behalf. What we should do in light of that is absolutely rejoice, not be concerned about the divisions and isms and schisms. Secondly, the issue of Abraham. He was promised a people. He was promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. And you and I have been grafted into the family of God. We are of the line of Abraham as a result of what Christ has done. So those two two covenants, we could go through all five of them. Those two covenants alone were fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. And so we've got to recognize that, understand that, and and let go of the baggage that surrounds things like Black Hebrew Israelites and other organizations, BLM and the like, who want to take some form of ungodliness or godless ideology and infuse it with, with sprinkles of Christianity so that the masses can be duped into something far less than what Christ has paid for us. Oh, yes. Guys, I want to ask one more thing that uh, I I need clarity on just because, again, this show and you guys are participants and you know it, it, it's never one show. It's a continuation of the show before it and the show before it. And it's an ongoing conversation we're trying to have here Mm -hmm. because, you know, we can learn things from each other endlessly. And so uh, yesterday, Royce White was on the show. You, everybody, I love Royce. Royce got a huge mind and brain, and I'm very transparent. Like sometimes, Royce, you get ahead of me, and and it takes me days, weeks, months. It takes me clar- clarifying conversations with you all mm-hmm. to even get to where Royce is going. And so I'm wondering if you guys heard Royce yesterday, and I think he's argued it previously. Royce is, has argued, and I just want y'all's opinion on it, because we have, I hear from uh, Jewish uh, listeners, followers of this show, viewers of this show, fans of the show, and so I, I just want some clarity. Royce makes the argument that, look, <clears throat> you can't call yourself a Jew if you don't believe in God. Where do we come down on that? <laughs> So I, I went back and made sure that I listened exactly to the argument he's making. And I, I get the argument that he's making. Depending on how you view yourself as a Jew, if we look at the origin of the Jewish nation, the Jewish peoples, it goes back to God. Now, are there ethnic Jews, people of the lineage, blood connected, blood related? Are there ethnic Jews that today no longer believe in God. Sure. So there can exist a case where there's an ethnic Jew that doesn't believe in God. But what Royce is saying is you don't even understand who you are. You may not understand who you are. Your origin goes back directly to God. Or if he's taking the angle of the spiritually connected Jew, those who are in Christ and those who understand that I am in Christ because of what God has done and the redemption. I'm Abraham's seed because of Christ. He's like, well, if you're denying God or you're denying Christ, how do you call yourself a Jew? So he's pointing out the hypocrisy in their life 
and in their beliefs. And, I, and I'll say this uh, and, and let Virgil get in as well. In the Eastern culture that this time period existed, they did not really engage in believing one thing and acting another way. It, that's, it's a Western culture that we do that, where we will take in truth and right information and it'll sound good to us, but we won't do anything about it. They were convicted. If this is a truth, I got to do something with it. A, a very particular passage on this point is in Acts chapter two. Peter preaches the gospel of Jesus and those in the audience respond by what must we do to be saved? You mean the Messiah that we've been waiting on for 700, a thousand years? We killed him? Oh, man, we got to do something with this truth that we've heard. But only in, in modern culture do we hear information and think, yeah, that sounds good, but I don't do anything about it. And therefore, it leads us to a place where we can say out of our mouth, ah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but we live antithetical to our belief. So Royce is calling that out. If you are who you say you are, then your actions will reveal that even before you announce it. Yeah, I, 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 complete, I completely concur with that. I, I would only I would add to that if you if you go and look at at the at, at the nation state of Israel, some of the most some of those horrible things happen in that space. Uh, for example, one of the largest LGBTQIA uh, expressions uh, annually happens in the in, in the state of Israel. Uh, the, the largest uh, population of atheists are in Israel. And again, it, it, this is this is it, this idea. These kinds of things are right in line with the kinds of things we see time and time again in the scripture that say that, that the people of Israel decided they were going to cast off restraints and go their own way to do their own thing, only to have God chastise them, cause them to come to a point of repentance and they, they would come back to God. Um, these kinds of things are not an indictment on on all of Israel, nor, nor is everyone in Israel participating in these things. But these are things to say, look, we probably need to get back to calling on God in the way that we know how uh, so that we can a repent, place our faith in Christ uh, and follow him all the days of our lives. And so that that's that's at the end of the day. Uh, those things are meant. I think Royce is, is making that is making that claim, that charge, that that push. Uh, in that direction, I, I would I would affirm the same thing. I would promote uh, Christ and Him crucified. Uh, I would say that every Jewish person needs to repent of sin and place their full faith in Christ. All have fallen short of the glory of God and sinned uh, against Him and need a Savior. Uh, Pastor Anthony has said it well. It's been said time and time again uh, on this show, and and that's that's uh, that's where we stand. The last thing I'll say about this, Jason, is this: uh, uh, anyone who gets triggered. Uh, by that statement or by statements like that probably needs to just turn in their man card. Uh, because at the end of the day, there's all kinds of things that we can think, say, and believe uh, that shouldn't require of us panic or outrage. We should take it in, weigh it to see whether or not it's true or false. And then to the point that, that Pastor Anthony made, do with it, do with the truth what we need to do, apply it to our lives, and then reject that which is false. We'll end on this note, and I don't know, I don't want y'all to respond because I think it's an original idea. It's piggybacking off of Roy's. It's what I believe. It's, it's kind of what, you know, I've been expressing in bits and pieces on this show. I, I, and it, it, it occurred, there was this element of this on today's show when I 
Delano, the clip he pointed to uh, from the woman using Emmett Till. And the thing I loved about, that I was really happy about in the Emmett Till movie is, they, they also let you know that Faith played a big role in her life and how she handled that situation and you know even the, the uncle named Preacher and all that. But I'm looking at people that are claiming this great connection to black heritage but want to leave God out of it. Wow. And if anybody that has any understanding about why I'm sitting here, Anthony's sitting here, and you're sitting there, and y'all got families that y'all take care of, and nice homes, and all that, if you don't understand that's all off the backs of some black people who believed in God, and got them through slavery, Jim Crow, the whole civil rights movement, blah, blah. And so I'm looking at black people claiming allegiance and benefiting from the sacrifices of black people here in America that believed in God and overcame some great odds, made this country better. And take black out of it. white folks that made sacrifices through their belief in God. You go look at the Civil War, look at the songs they were singing. Those were Christian men dying, knowing that they were dying on behalf of people that didn't look like them so that they could have freedom. It's in the songs. They knew exactly what they were doing. And so I'm looking at people that, oh, they want to revert back to the struggle and they're connected to Emmett Till and Mamie Till and they're connected to Frederick Douglass and they're connected to Martin Luther King, but they don't want nothing to do with God. Same kind of hypocrites. Royce White, what he's talking about, applies to us and many of us, and it drives me crazy to see us turning away from God, not putting that front and center, all these other identities we want to put front and center other than God, drives me crazy. Uh, so uh, we'll end on that note, and uh, we'll play a little harmony. Long show today, marathon show, but I think it was very good. <clears throat> we covered a lot of bases. Thank you guys, uh, Anthony. Uh, Talk to you a little bit later in our prayer meeting. Uh, play harmony. We'll see you tomorrow. How did we end up so divided? Stop fighting and One united Now we're headed for downfall God let your light shine down What we need more than anything now Harmony Let's make a simple vow Let's come together now Harmony Put all your weapons down Love one another now Harmony Time for us to wait My brother, see through the lies you tell us. Cause together we're so much stronger. God, let your light shine down.
me Open up your eyes and see 